happened a moment ago when we get when we continue back into our, our revelation uh, studies, especially chapters 13 and 14, we're going to be introduced to some wicked characters, uh, the Antichrist, uh, the false prophet. Both are called beasts, uh, fir- the first beast and then the second beast. We're going to look at them. Uh, but I thought to, to get uh, a running start toward that, we'd spend some time in Daniel. And perhaps you're familiar with uh, the passages of Scripture we'll be looking at in Daniel 7 and 8 today. There have been a lot of talented and intelligent and powerful people and influential people in this world. In fact, go all the way back to creation, and we meet some pretty, even in history, we meet some pretty uh, fantastic people. Someone has estimated that there have been 40 billion people that have lived on the earth since Adam and Eve were created. I don't know how you come up with that number, but um, I don't do well with numbers, as I've confessed with you before. So we'll just go with that, that uh, throughout world history, or human history anyway, that there have been about 40 billion people. And you each and, and each of us have our different opinion on who some of those incredible people might be. Uh, I might find some people to be pretty pretty important people, and you might think to yourself, eh, um, and vice versa. Somebody that may have impressed you may not mean all that much to me. But if you go back, and we could come together on some names of people that all of us agree, they've had, they've had great influence. We're looking today at one who is coming that is going to outshine all of them. He is powerful, deceitful, intelligent, brutal, ruthless, and efficient. And he is going to represent the pinnacle of everything man can achieve without God. He will be a satanically empowered man, and he is going to wreak havoc on the entire planet. And he's called the Antichrist. So we've finished the first 12 chapters of Revelation. Before we start chapter number 13, we're going to look at this one, who's been, by the way, given several different names in the Bible. And maybe you're familiar with some of them. In 2 Thessalonians 2, he's called the son of perdition or the man of sin. He's called the beast in Revelation 13. And then he's called that wicked with a capital W in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. 1 John 2.18 calls him the Antichrist with a capital A because Jesus said there are, there are and Paul There are several antichrists that have been throughout history, but there's one coming who gets a capital A. He is the antichrist. So we're going to look at Daniel today and find in in his book, and you can can do your own study. It's not hard to find this guy. Um, The antichrist shows up often in Daniel's book. And God says a lot about him him there, and and we're going to look at that today. So let's look at Daniel uh, chapter 8, and we'll look at other chapter or or other chapters and verses as well but let's read verses 23 through 27 of Daniel 8 and in the latter time of their kingdom when the transgressors are come to the full a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up and his power shall be mighty but not by his own power and he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper And practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told, is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. That is, we'll talk about that conclusion to that chapter. That's an interesting statement he makes. The physical toll that this vision took on Daniel's body. That's an amazing thing that he sees. Let's, let's look at this uh, message today. I've entitled it Introducing the Antichrist. 
you and I have met this person before. In fact, we've read some of him in Revelation already. But the detail we'll, we'll get to hopefully this morning and it will help our, uh, it'll help our continuation in Revelation 13 and 14. Let's ask God, can we, to, to help our uh, time together in his word and that God would take maybe distractions in your mind today away, at least for, at least for the hour we have together. And let's put our attention on, on what it belongs, all right? Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your word and thank you for telling us not what has happened so that we know where we came from, but also what's coming. And Lord, you've made a way for us to know the future. We don't have every detail, but we know that every man and every woman, every boy and girl is going to stand before you one day. Most of them are going to stand before you as judge, and they're going to hear words of condemnation. And then by Jesus' own words, we know that there will be a few that are going to stand before you as Savior. So if there have been 40 billion people that lived on the planet that you've created, God, then it's just going to be a relatively small number of people that are going to be saved. I would pray that if there's someone in this room today wondering what it is to really be a Christian, that you would help their understanding. And Lord, as we make our way through this terrible book of Revelation and this wonderful book of Revelation, I pray that you would help those that are in with us on this study who are not saved, help them to become afraid at what is coming. You said that some could be saved by fear. And Lord, they ought to be afraid. And then I pray, Lord, that those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior today, they would find comfort and peace. When we, stu- when we study these terrible things, God, may we take May we take great comfort in knowing we're not going to experience this. You have taken the wrath away from us. And so I pray that you'd help us today to be focused on your word and on your son and help us to remember in all things, Jesus, that you are the king and we look forward to the day when you do take up your throne. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Daniel chapter number 8. So let's look at a few, about four different things coming from this passage of Scripture and then other passages of Scripture. And if you're a note taker, I will tell you this. I'm going to mention a lot lot of Scripture references today. We simply don't have time to turn to them. But there are a lot of passages that tell us about this man, about his works, about uh, what's going to happen to him, what he's going to do while he's on the planet. And so if, if I mention a scripture reference, we probably are not going to be turning to it. Um, but you may want to jot those down. And then you can do what I think is the safest way to approach your Bible study. You can compare scripture with scripture. And what you'll find when you do that is that God's word agrees with itself all the time. It does not contradict Um, If there is a contradiction that appears in the scripture to you, it's because you or my understanding of that passage is not right. God does not contradict himself. There is no shadow. It says in the New Testament, there's no shadow of turning with him. So he doesn't say one thing and do another. He doesn't say one thing and then say something else. His word is always in agreement with itself. So let's look at this today. And we'll begin in verse number 23 with the advent of Antichrist. The advent of of Antichrist. What's going to be the signs of his appearing? Can people know when he is going to appear? And the answer is yes and no. Doesn't that sound like I'm running for political office? The answer is yes and no. No one knows who Antichrist is. No one knows exactly when he will appear. But the scripture does tell us there are certain things that are going to be accompanying his advent or his coming. Certain signs and certain, and certain events. When he does make his entrance, uh, the world is going to be in trouble. And so let's look at what, what are things going to be like on the planet. When Antichrist does appear, and, and, and let, me, let me say this, he will, he will already be an adult when Christians are raptured. So if we believe that Jesus could rapture us today then he is alive and well today and an adult, and he's functioning. Where and when? I don't know. But let's look at it. Let's start with what, what's, what are things going to be like when Antichrist appears? Let's start first with the condition of the world. The condition of the world. What's it going to be like? 
when he makes his appearance, the world is going to be in an absolute moral mess. It will be an absolute moral mess. He's got to come with answers, and he will. What do I mean by a moral mess? Would you hold your finger in Daniel chapter 8? Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And just look at the, and just look at what Paul says to Timothy about the last days, what the condition of the world is going to be in. Second Timothy chapter three and verse number one. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. If that does not describe planet Earth in 2023, I don't know if there's a passage of scripture in the Bible that does. So I believe Jesus Christ could come any time for his church. That describes us today. And Paul, Paul said this, this is a description of the last Days, the days that precede the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have any problem seeing that. So there's the condition of the world, and the condition of the world is it's in a mess. And Paul said, in the last days, it's going to be a religious, it's going to be a moral mess in the planet. That's the condition of the world. The second thing, what's the world going to be like? What's going to be going on when Antichrist shows up? There is a corruption of religion, a corruption of religion. If you're still in 2 Timothy, it won't take you much to get back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse 3. That verse says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin, see that? That's the Antichrist. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. There's going to come a falling away first. What's he talking about there? Antichrist is going to appear. Things are going to show up when there is a great time of religious apostasy, that falling away. It's not just, that's just not talking about organized religion because there are many religions in the world today. They're already fallen away. This is talking about people falling away from the truth. This falling away takes places, or takes place rather in churches and denominations that are claiming to be Christians. Christians or professing Christians are falling away right and left today, and they are detouring from the truth and falling for things that no one 25 years ago would have said, well, you can, you can accommodate that in Christianity. There was a, there was a much clearer line of separation, not anymore. I think the falling away has already started. I think we're in the process of that. Just because a church or a denomination calls itself Christian does not mean it is. Today we see a rapid and mass departure from biblical Christianity. Not everything claiming to be Christian in the Christian bookstore is Christian. There's apostasy being purported in the Christian bookstore. So be discerning, Christian. There is a falling away that's coming. 50 to 75 years ago, churches debated in this country, in this world, the virgin birth of Christ and the inerrancy of Scripture. Today, those have been swept aside by major religions. There are religions claiming to be Christian religions today that do not at all believe that this book is without error. Today, the debate has shifted to a a completely different debate. 
Should we ordain homosexuals and lesbians into the gospel ministry? Is gender really a thing? That's not being debated in the world. It's being debated in churches and in denominations, and denominations are splitting over these ideas. The son of this this man of sin will not be revealed until first there comes, Paul says, a great falling away. The falling away of the falling away that the Bible's talking about is here now. And I believe Antichrist is not far behind. I don't think Christian, I don't think you have long to wait. I just don't. Brother Jim said today, I believe I'm going to be part of the rapture generation. I, I think there's a really good possibility. And if you're not a Christian today, I would do whatever I had to do to find out how to become a Christian. I think the Antichrist's revelation is just around the corner. And before he's revealed, you and I, Christian, are going to be gone. There is going to be there, this, this condition of the world. It's going to be terrible morally. Then there's this falling away, this corruption. I put this down, when so-called Christian denominations have to vote as to whether or not to marry or ordain homosexuals and lesbians, something is drastically wrong. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 12 says, judgment is turned away backward, justice standeth afar off, truth is fallen in in the streets, and equity cannot enter. That's today. Truth is absolutely fallen in the streets. The world's condition, it's going to be a moral mess when Antichrist is revealed. Religion in the world is going to be corrupted, the falling away that's coming. So if that's true, then what's holding Antichrist back? There's, there's another thing that's going to take place around the uh, revealing of the Antichrist, and that's the completion of the bride. The completion of the bride. Second, again, Second Thessalonians chapter uh, number 2, verses 6 and 7. This is an interesting passage of Scripture, and some people struggle with this. I don't, um, I don't purport to struggle with this. I, I get this. I don't have every answer as far, or nor do you, or nor does anybody that claims to. We don't have every answer about prophecy, but I don't struggle with this passage of Scripture at all. It's worded differently. I'll give it that. This is one of those verses. Do you remember when Paul said uh, to the Corinthian church, that, that the Bible, you don't understand it without, an, without a regenerated mind. The natural man, Paul said this, the natural man receiveth not the things of God. Remember him saying that? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 prove that point. The language in the verse is, is a little bit confusing, but let's look at it and see what the Old English language is saying. What is it being referred to? Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Something else that's going to mark the revelation of the Antichrist, his coming, is going to be the completion of the bride. The, the body of Christ is going to be complete, and Jesus is going to rapture it. It says in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 6, And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. We're talking about the Antichrist being revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. We don't have a hard time seeing that. Iniquity at work in the world. Only he who now letteth will let. Until he be taken out of the way. Would you read that word? If you have a King James Bible, that word letteth means to restrain, to hold back, to prevent. So he that now... Verse 7, he that now restrains, holds back, or prevents will do so until he be taken out of the way. And then that wicked be revealed. There's that reference to the Antichrist as the wicked with a capital W. How would you like that to be your name? He is named wicked. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall come and shall destroy, rather, with the brightness of his, his coming. So, those two verses telling us that there is a restraining force that's at work on the earth right now. Verse number 7. There is a restraining force on the earth right now holding back the advent or the coming of the Antichrist. The, it refers to this person as he in verse 7. Only he 
who now letteth will let. There have been a lot of proposals as to who he is referring to. Some thought it referred to the Roman Empire. Well, that doesn't make any sense biblically. Some think that it refers to the preaching of the gospel. It's not a person, it's an act. It's the preaching of the gospel that's holding the Antichrist back. Some believe that it's the church or that it's Israel. Well, the church hasn't done a very good job at restraining evil in the world. In fact, the church has let it infiltrate, oftentimes, into our body. Israel's not holding it back. Those are all human forces, none of them doing a good job at restraining evil, holding it back. So what is this he? That he, in verse number 7, is the Holy Spirit. The he, in verse number 7, the one holding back the coming of the Antichrist, the one preventing, or if the King James Bible, the one letting, it's the Holy Spirit that is preventing the advent or the appearing of Antichrist. Your body and my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says. While believers are present in this world, the Holy Spirit is working through us. He is busy. He's convicting us. He's convicting lost people. He is at work pointing people to Christ. He is doing the bidding of the Father. And when the church is raptured out of here, the Holy Spirit's permanent indwelling practice will be ended and he'll be taken to heaven. Will the Holy Spirit still be present on earth? Yes, just like he was, I believe, in the Old Testament. I just don't believe there will be the indwelling that there was. The church is going to be raptured. The bride of Christ is then going to be complete. One preacher said it like this, and I don't know if this is how it works. I I just, I don't know how it works. But I've heard maybe more than one preacher, and you probably have too, say that there is a person out there, and when that person is saved, God at that point is going to say, Jesus, go get him, and, and the church will be raptured. I don't know if that's true or not. I can't say that this person being saved is going to be the key, and then the church is raptured. That may or may not be true, but at some point that only God the Father knows, the church is going to be raptured. We're going. We're going. The bride will have been completed. The church is the bride of Christ. Israel's not the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And when the bride is completed, the church will be raptured, and the Antichrist is going to be revealed. Some believe that the church is going to be here for the first half of the tribulation period. And if you're a mid-tribber, I'm not going to hold that against you. I just don't agree with you at all. Um, If you believe that the church is going to be raptured halfway through the tribulation, that we'll be here for the first three and a half years, but miss the last three and a half years, I think you miss miss what the scripture is telling us. I believe with all of my heart that if you believe in a mid-trib rapture of the church, then you have to take certain prophecies or promises that were made to Israel and apply them to the church. And if you do that, you're treading on very thin ice because now you've got to determine which promises and prophecies were for Israel or the church or both. You can't take Israel's prophecies and claim them as a Christian. Some things God left to his chosen people, the Jews. But to be a mid-tribulationist, you have to accept Israeli or Jewish prophecies and promises and claim them as church prophecies or promises and it just won't work add to that the promise that God's redeemed people have been delivered from wrath it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 9 we are not appointed to it and it says in Romans 5 9 that we've been delivered from it through Jesus Christ I think that the rapture of the church marks the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period not the three and a half Uh, not at the three-and-a-half-year point. So the advent of Christ, what's going to happen? Well, the world is going to be a moral mess, and religion is going to be corrupted, and the bride is going to be completed, and then you're going to have the advent or the appearing of the Antichrist. Let's go back to Daniel chapter chapter number 8, and let's look next then at the attributes of this guy. Who is this guy? What is he like? What are some things that that we learn about him? Well, the second part of verse number 23, 
we learn first of all that he is a uh, he is a man of peace. Look at verse twenty three again. It says in the latter in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full. A king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall uh, prosper. Practice shall destroy the mighty and holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. First of all, he's going to be a man of peace. We'll not turn there because we've covered it, but Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2, we saw a man on a white horse and he had a bow with no arrows. Remember him? A bow with no arrows. Here was a guy not coming, bringing war. Here was a guy coming, bringing peace. And the Antichrist is going to come bringing peace. That agrees exactly with Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 27 when it says, And he, Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant or peace treaty with many for one week. He's going to come and he's going to bring a peace treaty between Israel and her enemies. Our world longs for such a leader. How many presidents have we have that have done their best to work out peace between Israel. Probably every president since 1948 has tried to work out some type of lasting peace between Israel and all of her enemies surrounding her. If we could solve the Middle Eastern conflict, how much would that impact the world? What would happen to oil prices if there wasn't the Middle East tension that there is? The Antichrist is going to come a charismatic a charismatic leader he's going to come and he's going to unite people under this peace and he's going to bring about a peace between Israel and every one of her enemies they're going to acknowledge Jordan Syria Iran Iraq Afghanistan anybody over there that is anti-Israel they're going to sign a peace treaty and say okay we're good And the world is going to be absolutely amazed. He is a man of peace. But the truth is this, and you know this, we we read it. He's going to break that thing. The truth is this, the only lasting peace is going to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, at least twice in the Bible, referred to as the prince of peace. He's the prince of it. He said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. He is the one that gives true peace, John 14, verse 27. If you're looking for peace in your life today, a, a genuine peace. I'm not, I'm not talking about fake peace, temporary satisfaction. I'm talking about genuine, real, live peace. To where when you lay down your pillow, you, you lay down on your pillow at night, you're just at peace. Kind of like what I, I liked what uh, in our study this morning in Pilgrim's Progress, you, did you see that part where he entered into, uh, Christian entered into the palace beautiful and he went into that room and what was the name of his bedchamber? Peace. Jesus said, I'll give it to you. So first of all, this Antichrist, he will be a man of peace. He's also going to be a man of popularity. That rider on the white horse in Revelation chapter 6, he's wearing a crown that was given to him. Not one that he took, not one that he was born with. He was, he's wearing a crown that is given to him. The world is going to embrace Antichrist like he is a, he's an answer of prayer. They're going to love him. They're going to follow him. He is a man of popularity. One, one preacher said he will have Thomas Jefferson's intellect, George Washington's leadership skills, FDR's eloquence, and JFK's charisma. He's going to be wrapped up into one. Everybody is going to fall for this guy. He, he embodies what the world is looking for in a leader. He's a man of peace, a man of popularity. He'll be a man of prosperity. Look at Daniel chapter 11, verse number 43. He's a man of prosperity. Still talking about the Antichrist. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver 
and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. Do you know, I'm sure you do, that's a rhetorical question. Would you just stop to consider all of the natural resources of the continent of Africa? He mentions Libya, Ethiopia, and Egypt. Stop and consider the gold, silver, copper, uranium, diamonds. Consider all, and what else? He's going to have power over them. He's going to be one of prosperity. He Eventually, the Bible is telling us, he's going to control the world's wealth. He's going to bring prosperity to those who have lived in poverty. I think there's a good chance he's going to propose an answer probably closer than any other answer to world hunger that we've ever seen. He is going to be extremely popular and he's going to have all the world's wealth at his disposal. We already hear through the infiltration of socialism, we already hear people doing, they're trying to do away with the classes of people, right? Right? He's going to, he's probably going to attempt and accomplish that. He's going to level the plank. Everybody's going to love him. He's going to, uh, he's going to rule the world and many in the world will be most, if I'll say this, I bet most people in the world will be better off financially under his rule than they ever have been. For three and a half years, it is going to be fantastic under this guy's leadership. And people are going to follow him and keep following him. You know why? People like to prosper. You know, what, you know one of the problems is in our country, and this is the truth, we vote our pocketbook. We vote our checking account. We do. You promise enough things to be given away, people will go that way. You know why? People like to have stuff. They like to have money. This guy is going to have it. He's going to control the world's finances. I think he's going to make everybody feel like they're better off than they were. So he'll be a man of peace, of popularity, of prosperity. Finally, he's going to be a man of power. And the scripture is, it is just full of of that teaching. Look at chapter 7 of the book of Daniel. Chapter 7 and verse number 21. And I beheld the same horn, talking, this little, the horn represent here is Antichrist. He made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Those tribulation saints, the people who've been saved after the rapture, he's going to make war with them and, and he's got the power. It says in verse 21, he prevails against him. Same chapter, verse 25. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. He's going to wear out the saints. He's going to have great power. Chapter 8, we've read verses 24 and 25. Look how 24 starts out. And his power shall be mighty. Talking about this man of power. But would you notice the second phrase there in verse number 24? Did you, did you catch that? And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. People are going to look at this guy and they're going to follow him. He's got, he's, he, he's got incredible power, but it says it's not his own. What, what are they saying? They will not recognize nor will they care that he is satanically empowered. He is empowered by Satan himself. For thousands of years, men and women have looked to become the ruler of the world. You remember that? Uh, <clears throat> you remember that movie where a guy stood was in front of the Titanic, where he stood out there and he said, "I'm a king of the world." Napoleon sought it. All kinds of people throughout the world, world history, Hitler sought it. All people have sought to be rulers of the world. He is going to be. All of these things, his peace and popularity, his prosperity, his power, all of these things are true about this guy at the beginning of his rule in the world. But three and a half years into the tribulation, this man of peace and prosperity and popularity is going to start wielding his power 
And he's going to break the, tri- the, the uh, covenant or the treaty that he has between Israel. He's going to break those things and he's going to exercise his power in such a way where he reveals who he truly is. Dr. Rogers says he's the satanic superman and he's, he's going to show it. That takes us to the next ideal and that's the abominations of Antichrist, the abominations of Antichrist. It's explained there again in verses 24 and 25. Isn't that interesting? In verse 24, it says, he shall destroy wonderfully. That's an interesting way to put that. The destruction he's going to bring to the planet is going to be absolutely amazing. That word wonderfully means astounding. The destruction he's going to bring... First of all, in verse 25, it says in Daniel 7.25, he's going to attack the people of God. He's going to attack the people of God. 7.25, he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He's going to attack them. He breaks the covenant with Israel. He attempts to do what Hitler and others have tried to do, and that's exterminate the Jew, and he goes after them. He hates everything related to God. He hates everything related to Jesus Christ. And he's seeking to destroy the Jews. And he's also seeking to destroy the tribulation saints. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3 says this. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already it is in the world. He's going to go after the tribulation saints, but that won't be, that's not the first time this is going to happen. You already know that Christians today are being persecuted around the world, and in our country, the attack is just beginning on Christianity. At least, let me rephrase that. It's just coming to the forefront and becoming blatant. Here about three weeks ago, did you see that guy that was arrested up in, uh, at the beginning of Pride Month? That preacher up in Pennsylvania that was arrested for preaching on the street. Now, they turned him loose as quick as they could because they realized they'd messed up. But, but the door is open. Canada and Australia and England have been arresting preachers for years for speaking out publicly against the sins of the LGBTQ plus community. They've arrested them for years and not turned them loose like they did in Pennsylvania. And there'll come a time in the United States when to speak against what God calls abomination is going to be a crime And people, whether they're preachers or church members or missionaries or evangelists, they're going to be arrested. Say, Pastor, you're a doomsday prophet. This is just scripture. Standing against homosexuality and transgenderism and sexual deviance today brings charges of bigotry. If you don't go along with this, you're a bigot. And you're being singled out. And one day you'll be isolated. We are told as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, we ought to soften our stance on so-called social issues. They're not social issues at all. They're moral issues. And they have a right side and a wrong side. And that right and wrong side is not determined by you or me. We don't get to make up our our, our own rightness. We don't get to say, well, I think it's okay if people uh, live together and have sex before they're married. We don't get to say that. We don't get to say, well, I I just think people ought to be, here's the phrase they use a lot, people ought to be allowed to love whoever they love. No. Because your heart and my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So we ought to love who God says to love. God said it's a man and a woman married and together for life. We We don't get to define those things. Let me say this, and then we'll move on. He attacks the people of God. The closer we get to Christ's return, the more laws are going to be passed, making Bible-believing Christianity illegal. And that attack will continue until the rapture of Jesus Christ. It will get worse before it gets better. So he will attack the people of God. Daniel 8.25 says he will attack the prince of God. Did you note in your Bible that the word prince of princes, prince is capitalized? Did you see that? That's talking about Jesus Christ. He's going to stand against the prince of princes. Everything to do with Jesus will be attacked. And again, this this idea is already present. This spirit is already present in the world. Let me ask you a question. 
When's the last time you heard the name Allah used as a curse word? When is the last time you heard the name Buddha being used to swear? You haven't. Nor have I. But they will drop the name Jesus Christ like it's some profane, vulgar word. Why? Because the spirit of Antichrist, like Paul said, is already present in this world. He's just going to feed off of that. He's not starting. Look, when Antichrist gets here, he's not starting with a blank slate of, uh, of anti-Christian, uh, anti-Christian activities. He's going to feed off of that. Why is it that Jesus Christ is singled out the way he is? Of all the religions in the world, why is this, this man Jesus, why is he singled out so much? You want to know why? Bottom line, this is why. Because he points to the fact that I'm a sinner and I can't do a thing about it on my own. That's why. Every other religion tells me, if they tell me that I'm a bad person, they'll say, but here's what you can do about it. Jesus says, there's nothing, Mark, that you can do about it. It has to be through me that you get rid of your sins. And I have to humble myself. And we don't like to humble ourselves. Jesus is hated because his name points out my sin. At the bottom line, men don't like to be told they're sinners. You remember those videos we went through a long time ago, those Ray Comfort videos? How many people, when he went out, he's out there on the street just talking to random people. Do you think you're a pretty good person? How many of those people said, no, sir, I am a rotten sinner to the core, and if I get what I deserve, I'm going to go to hell? You know how many? I'll take away the suspense that you're all feeling right now. Not one person said that. He'd say, he put a mic in front of their face. You're a pretty good person. Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Every person. Jesus came and lived an absolutely perfect life and pointed out the fact that no one else has. That's why they hate him. So he's not only going to attack the people of God, he's going to attack, he's going to attack the prince of God. But while he's doing that, while Antichrist is going around, he's doing all of these things, God's going to be raising up through 144,000 Jewish evangelists preaching the gospel of the kingdom throughout the world. God's going to be raising up a people for himself. And people are going to turn to Jesus Christ during the tribulation period and they're going to be saved. Even in chaos during the tribulation period, God is still on the throne and he's still ruling and reigning. It's going to be great. He's going to attack the people of God. Antichrist will attack the prince of God. And Daniel 8.25 says that he's going to attack the place of God. Here's more scriptures we're not turning to. Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.36 and 37, 2 Thessalonians 2.4, Matthew 24.15. All of these scriptures point to the fact that three and a half years in, Antichrist is going to break the seven-year covenant with Israel, and then he's going to enter the Holy of Holies, and he's going to desecrate the temple before the Jews, and it's going to send them into a fury. And he's going to unleash his wrath on the Jewish people. Antichrist is going to declare himself to be God. He's going to demand that the world worship him, especially the Jew, and they're going to do it. People are going to worship him as a God. There's a foreshadowing of this event that took place um, a couple hundred years almost before Jesus was born. There's a man in history, and you probably know his name. His name is Antiochus. He's Antiochus IV. He gave himself uh, the title of Antiochus Epiphanes. Do you know what Epiphanes means? It means God manifested. He gave that to himself. His name was Antiochus. He was the fourth in the dynasty, but he gave himself the name. In fact, when he minted his coins, his coins say Antiochus. God manifested, man of victory. Antiochus was a Syrian ruler that ruled uh, between 175 and 164 BC. He was 
an anti-Semite to the core. Why he hated Jews so much, I don't know. But his hatred ran all through his body. When he assaulted Jerusalem, he killed 40,000 Jews in three days. And he sold that many more into slavery. He hated the Jews. When he finally, he was a Syrian ruler, he was anti-Semitic, he desecrated the Jews' temple. In December 168 B.C., he entered the Jews' temple in Jerusalem and took a huge um, uh, sow, swine, and killed, killed that pig on the brazen altar outside of the temple. Now, they're Jewish people. The pig is an unclean animal. For thousands of years... There has never been a piece of pork on that brazen altar. The Jews kept it holy. He walked this pig into there and he cooked He cooked this thing on the brazen altar. Then he took the broth of, the, uh, of that cooked pig and he sprinkled everything in the temple, including into the Holy of Holies. Everything he could get to, he sprinkled with pig broth. And then he took the priests and their families and he made them eat that swine that he'd killed and cooked. All of these things to desecrate the temple. If that weren't enough, he took a, pitch, a, a, a statue of Jupiter and he stuck that in the Holy of Holies. Everything he could do to the temple that would offend the Jews, he did it. Jesus referred to that event in Matthew 24, 15. He called it the abomination of desolation. He's referring back to the desecration of the temple by Antiochus Epiphanes IV. You've heard of the Maccabean revolt in in, uh, Jewish history. They revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes. His desecration of the temple is what led Judas Judas and the Maccabees to, uh, to revolt against him. He didn't last. Antiochus died of an illness in Babylon in 164 BC. He suffered a great defeat in battle, and following that battle, he got ill and he died. And the Jews said he died because of what he'd done to their temple. They said that God killed him for it. He was a foreshadow of what's coming by the Antichrist. What Antiochus did in part will be fully accomplished by the Antichrist. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 3, he demands to be, Antichrist demands to be worshipped. And the Bible says that all of the unsaved people in the world will worship him at that point. And the Bible draws that line. It's all of those who have not accepted Christ, who have not turned uh, to Jesus Christ. They're going to worship and accommodate his demand. Now get this. They wouldn't bow down to the one who loved them and gave himself for them. But they will bow down to the one who's going to lead them to destruction. Their minds are darkened. The mind is darkened. Everyone is worshiping someone or something right now. You are. I am. Every one of us worship something or someone right now. And it's not, I, my, my worship is not reflected in my words. I just don't get to say, well, I worship Jesus and then we're good to go. My worship and your worship is demonstrated in our heart and in our life. Because anybody can claim anything. You can say you're a tree stump if you want to. You can identify as a tree stump today if you want to. But that don't make you a tree stump. And if I say I worship Jesus Christ, that has to be backed up by a heart and a life that matches that claim. You're worshiping something today. I hope you're worshiping in your heart and your life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure you know him as your Savior. There is the advent of the Antichrist, his attributes, the abominations that are coming. It's going to be great at first when he promises to solve all the world problems, but three and a half years into it, He is going to reveal himself for who he is, a Satan-filled, Satan-empowered man, and he is going to, for lack of a better term, he is going to go off. 
That's, that's that part of scripture. You remember where, where the Bible tells the Jews to flee into the wilderness. Run and hide. He's coming after you. The last thing I want you to look at, verse 25 in Daniel 8, is the annihilation of the Antichrist. And this will wrap it up for us. The annihilation of the Antichrist. It says in verse number 25, through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. Magical powers. And he shall magnify himself in his heart on God. And by peace, he comes in with peace, but what's he going to do? Destroy many. He shall stand up against the prince of princes. And that last one, standing up against the prince of princes, that's what leads to the very last phrase of verse number 25. And he shall be broken without hand. Broken without hand. The annihilation of the Antichrist, first of all, it's going to be sudden. That phrase, broken without hand, means it's not going to be a defeat by a man. When he's raising up these armies for war, it's not going to be some genius general over here. Weren't you pulling for that general this last week that was marching toward Moscow? I was. That has nothing to do with this, but I was pulling for that guy. I was like, go with it. And there are going to be men who oppose Antichrist. And the Bible says this in Daniel 8.25. They're not going to be the ones to defeat him. His sudden destruction is going to come from a supernatural defeat. Eventually, we're going to get to Revelation 19. But can I read verse number 20 for you? Revelation 19.20 says this about Antichrist. And the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. And both, these both, Antichrist and false prophet, These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. When God judges this man, Antichrist, and Antichrist is a man. When God judges him, he's going to do it swiftly, and his defeat is absolutely certain. At the end of the tribulation period, Antichrist is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. That's what happens at the end of the seven years. Antichrist and the false prophet... His destruction is coming. It's going to be sudden. And second, it's going to be serious. Revelation 19.20, that verse we just read, is talking about the end of the tribulation period. And it says this. Did you note that? Antichrist is thrown alive into the lake of fire. Fast forward 1,000 years from that date to the end of the millennial reign. Revelation 20 and verse 10 says that when Satan is finally judged by God and eternally going to be thrown into the lake of fire, Revelation 20 says, 2010 says that the beast and the false prophet are still there. This annihilation that's coming to the beast, it's going to be forever. When he loses, and he will, At the end of the tribulation period, just when it looks like Israel is finally going to be wiped off the map, Jesus Christ is going to return, and he's going to save Israel. And the beast, the false prophet, uh, they are going to be taken, thrown into the lake of fire. And a thousand years later, when Satan is finally condemned to hell, the beast is still there. The Antichrist is still there. I... I'm saying this because in spite of all his abilities and his power and his greatness, his ruthlessness, besides, but, but in spite of all of those things, he's going to be defeated and he's going to suffer for eternity. And I'm emphasizing that because that is true of every person that makes it to hell. Please don't be deceived by those who say, well, look, If you don't die a Christian, you might have to go to a place and suffer for a little while. But then if you suffer, once you've suffered enough, God's going to take you on to heaven. It doesn't work like that. I'm not being unkind to people that believe that. I'm just telling you there is nothing in scripture that supports that. The Bible says there were two men. One was a rich man. One was a beggar. This was not a parable. This is a true story. We know that because Jesus gave us the name of the beggar. His name was Lazarus. And these two men died, apparently close to each other. They died close in time to each other. And the Bible says that the rich man died, 
and went to hell. And the other, the other man, the poor man, the beggar, Lazarus, died, went to, the Bible calls it, uh, Abraham's bosom or paradise. The rich man in hell never makes a request to get out because he can't and he knows it. And I'm saying this to you today, if you don't know for sure that you're a Christian and if Jesus Christ can come back at any time, then I would make sure, somehow, I would make sure I was saved. I would make sure I was part of this, this bride of Christ I mentioned a little bit ago. I would find Jesus and, and I would ask him to forgive my sins. Don't ask him if you can go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. He's looking for you to admit you are a sinner who can't get there on your own. The Antichrist is going to be defeated one day. And so is every person that dies without Jesus Christ. Don't be that person. So here's my closing question for you. Whose side are you on? The Antichrist was on the wrong side. He chose, he chose to stand against our, our scripture in Daniel 8 says, he chooses to stand against the prince of princes. He chooses to oppose Jesus Christ. That will never work against an omnipotent God. It won't work, no matter who you are. You can't be brighter or more powerful than the Antichrist. You can't be. Don't oppose Jesus. Are you aligned with the God of the Bible? Have you trusted his son Jesus to forgive your sins and take you to heaven when you die? So you skip hell, you miss it. That's, that's the thing. Here, here, this is a terrible man we're talking about. These, these scripture verses attest to this. He's powerful. He's terrible. He's coming. You can't stop his coming. I do not fear him one bit. There's nothing about Antichrist that I'm afraid of. You know why? I'll be gone. I'm not subject to anything he's going to bring to this planet because I'm a child of God. Jesus Christ has forgiven my sins, given me eternal security. I am part of God's family and I cannot be removed from it. And when he raptures his church, I'm going up and then shall this man of sin be revealed. I don't fear him one bit and you don't have to either, Christian. Now it's a terrible topic we're talking about. He's going to wreak, he is going to wreak havoc and release hell on this earth. But I don't fear that. I feel, I feel for those who are going to be left behind, absolutely. But I don't fear him. And you don't have to either. If you know Jesus Christ. So here's my closing thought to you this morning. Jesus is coming. He's coming. The world is poised to enter a time of trouble like nothing it has ever experienced before. Where will you be when Satan's Superman takes the world by storm? What happens to you all depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. What happens to you depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. Well, I believe in Jesus Christ. So does the devil. He's not going to heaven. It's not enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible goes further than that. The Bible says that the devil fears him. He not only believes in Jesus, he fears Jesus. He has the fear of God in him. Satan fears God. He's not going to heaven. Well, what's the key then, Pastor? The key is admitting you're a sinner and trusting that Jesus that you believe is the Son of God, trusting him to forgive your sins and to take away the penalty for them. Nothing you do, not joining this church, not being baptized, not doing good things, just trusting Jesus' death on the cross was enough to pay for your sins and my sins. That's what gets you to heaven. A lot of people believe in Jesus. They're not going to heaven. Some may fear him. They're not going to heaven. You have to put your trust in him. Antichrist is coming. We can't stop him, but we don't have to meet him. You don't have to meet him. Would you stand with your heads bowed this morning? Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the warnings in it. This man coming is part of your prophecy and he's part of your purpose for this world. He is going to help the Jews come to Messiah. And he's going to do it through terrible things and we're acknowledging that today. 
I pray for those that might be here as Christians who aren't giving out the warnings like they should. Help us to be better at witnessing. Help us to be more intentional, not waiting for it to happen. Help us to cause, God, situations to come up where we can share Christ with people. Give us boldness. I pray for the one or two or four that might be in here today that aren't saved. Help them to see this is not just some fantasy science fiction plan being drawn up. This is, this is your word and it's truth and it's coming. And we don't know when. We believe it soon. But God, we pray that they would be saved. They would come to Christ today. Do your work in us. We pray in your name. Amen.